Welcome back to another episode of Riddles in the Dark. It's been a good long while, at least it feels like it to me anyway, because uh, I've been snowed under uh, in graduate school, and um, I don't think we've we've done a proper Riddles in the Dark episode for like a month, because the last one we did was the uh, the special Hobbit Day episode, so it's good to be back. That's right. That's right. It does feel like a long time. The last one was fun, but as you say, it wasn't exactly like a like a normal episode. It's been a while since we've uh, since we've done one of these. Yep. I feel like uh, I feel like. Well, I know for a fact that news has been piling up, and uh, and I don't know. There's just been a, a growing anxiety that uh, lots and lots of um, uh, questions and possible predictions and topics are piling up, and that our time is growing very very short. Yeah. On that note, let's uh, get started. I'm co-host Dave Kale, and with me is the illustrious Tolkien professor, Professor Corey Olson. Uh, welcome. Good morning, Corey. And uh, how are things with you? Um, how's the book uh, sales coming along? Good. Um, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, have, you reached, uh, have you reached J.K. Rowling level of wealth yet? <laughs> yeah, not quite. <laughs> I think uh, when the movie comes out, especially between the time the movie comes out and Christmas, when people are looking for that perfect present for their uh, Tolkien fan loved one, that's right around the time you're going to start outselling Fifty Shades of Grey and uh, and J.K. Rowling's <laughs> new book. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But I'm optimistic. Uh, yeah, no, it's it, it should, yeah, but that's pretty optimistic, all right. Um, but yeah, no, it it should be it. It should be good. I mean, I'm really, you know, as I said, I, I, I fortunately, you know, sometimes, you know, some people have asked me before, like, do you ever get tired of talking about talking? <laughs> you know, do you ever get tired of talking about The Hobbit? And, you know, I don't. And I, that's actually, to me, why I'm a teacher. You know, some people are like, gosh, it must be really dull to, like, talk about the same book over and over and over again. And I'm like, look, I'm a professor. Like, I do that constantly. I mean, how many times <laughs> have I taught the same classes where I'm like, we're discussing the same books? And, you know, like, but actually, it's never boring because you're always talking to different people. You know, having the same conversations with the same people about the same books uh, it can could conceivably become tiresome, I suppose, if you're having exactly the same conversation. But, you know, going over similar ground, I don't know. I mean, there's something, you know, for me, the excitement about being a teacher is, you know, is, you know, sharing things with people. And as long as there are, like, you know, like new things to share and uh, new things to discover and new people to share it with. I never find that it gets uh, that it that it gets old. So, you know, I'm um, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to you know the conversations that will certainly arise uh, when the film comes out. But um, yeah, but people are is... people are underestimating um, uh, or. or uh... If they think this is boring, they should try being just a normal professor. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly, right, yes. Uh, let me explain the Krebs cycle again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, you know, and I'm sure, like, look, I'm sure that, you know, my biologist colleagues uh, are have, you know, receive exactly, you know, a very similar level of satisfaction from doing that. But, um, but yes, yes, I agree. I agree. I, um, I'm fine with it. And, and I agree. Physics is fun. Absolutely. Uh, I love physics myself and, uh, you know, and, and there is definitely a satisfaction in, 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 in teaching that stuff. No question. But, uh, you know, 
am I happy at uh, you know spending my life talking about the books that I love? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so um, so good. So anyway, so we were. Uh, We've got some, you know, a bunch of new things to talk about here. There's, there have been a bunch of releases after the Hobbit Day stuff. Of course, we talked about the trailer uh, itself on our Hobbit Day broadcast. Um, since then, there have been this flood of new images and new movie posters and things like that. I don't know that we need to spend an enormous amount of time uh, on those, but I, I, I would kind of like to, to talk about them a little bit to sort of see more of the story that... Um, you know that that we're beginning to see unfolding, um, which is you know, and this is you know, Dave. I know you've commented on 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 this uh, in the past, but you know how doing this podcast has really sort of changed your own experience in uh, in relating to this film and looking forward to this film. It's been very interesting because I've never really done this before either, um, and uh, I find that it does it has really uh, really changed and for me really enriched uh, my my reactions to things and uh and you know whenever i see like the image of bulg that i want to look at in a, in a minute you know i'm sort of thinking about how i might have what i might have thought of that image had i just you know had that just kind of come out of the blue to me you know in the way that things did when the when the lord of the rings films were first coming out um but now of course having like given extensive thought to the character of bulg and uh how he might enter into the the adaptation in Peter Jackson's films, uh, you know, there's it, it, every every uh, aspect of his depiction seems <laughs> seems rich with significance, uh, and it's uh, and it's certainly a lot of fun to think about. Yeah, that's uh, that is true. That is very true. So uh, you wanna you wanna show us what you're talking about? Okay, yes, I will. So let's look at uh, a few things here. I'm going to for those who are in the uh, the Mythgard net moot with me here. I'm gonna share my screen so we can so they can we can all be looking at the same thing. The first image here is uh, this new character scroll that came out. Um, this is in itself relatively simple. Um, you know, we've got the dwarves, which we've now seen a lot of many times, and we've got Bilbo apparently holding his contract, uh, and Gandalf sort of stooping down into the frame. I like that. Um, sort of recognition of the scale issues uh, that everybody in the cast, the dwarves and the hobbit, are are more or less of a height, at least they're approximately to the same scale, uh, whereas Gandalf is the only tall person among them. So I think that, you know, having him there with his head cut off and stooping over is 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 kind of a nice nod to that, a nice reminder of that, because, of course, we have seen so many exclusively short people shots. Um, that uh, th that sense of scale, the fact that some of the people are are in a different scale to others, is not nearly as present, I think, in people's minds when they look at the trailers for the Hobbit material as, as it was in the Lord of the Rings films. It was very striking, you know, when you're always seeing, um, you know, Frodo with Gandalf and Aragorn and everybody, um, and uh, and now we have again this primarily when, when we see all these shots of dwarves interacting with each other and Bilbo with the dwarves and everything, we can lose sight of those scale issues. So I think that that was that was an interesting kind of nod to that. Um, anything strike you about the dwarves and their rep their representation in this image, Dave? Well, I think this image gives us definitive evidence about where the first film will end. This image does. 
I'm being sarcastic. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> that I would consider surprising. Uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, the, yeah, the zoom of this is very intense. Okay, I guess that's a back-end window in the background. Well, it, one thing for sure is, uh, again, it's very striking how young Thorin looks. Um, yes, and how young some many of the dwarves look, but especially Thorn, given that in the book he's actually not that young. He looks incredibly young there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he looks downright middle aged. Yeah, at, at, I mean at most. I mean you look at. The, I, mean, I mean here here's a fun game. Which of the dwarves look older than Thorin? Uh, yep, yep, yep. Well, and, you know, they might be about the same age. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bofer here looks younger. Yep. Uh, Bifer looks older. Yep. Of course, Fuey and Kiwi, but that's perfectly appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, even Dory here looks older because yep. he's got more gray. And uh, Nori and Ori look younger, and Bomber mostly looks He fat. looks fatter. But even... <laughs> He looks fatter, yeah. I mean, maybe he he looks maybe a little bit younger, but bas- basically, I mean, this it, he appearance-wise, I would put him in the bottom half uh, of 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 age here. And again, it really that was something when we talked about Thorin's age months ago. I mean, I still think everything that I thought then about the significance of this move and how it's going to change Thorin's character. And seeing these images actually kind of crystallizes that for me a little bit more because I hadn't really thought about th- about this dynamic of it. That is the the apparent relative ages between Thorin and the rest of the dwarves. I'd been thinking about what it meant for his character, but I've been kind of thinking about him in isolation. Seeing him actually surrounded by a bunch of dwarves who seem all obviously older than he is um, <clears throat> really does change the dynamics. Them following him becomes more of well I mean, I wouldn't exactly call it an act of pity on their part, but I don't know if you know what I mean by that. That is, it's not just a question of, like, you are our senior and our elder, you are our obvious leader, uh, you know, to you we owe our loyalty. They, they, they all doubtless do feel that they owe him his, their loyalty because he's the son of their king. But it's a different thing to say, we're going to follow the young prince into battle, which is almost, which is more the dynamic that we get here. Um, most of those guys are instead of Balin being the other, the second oldest guy in the group, who was like, uh, you know, Thorin's friend back in childhood, and they've grown up together and endured exile and and the Battle of Azanul Bazaar and and you know bunches of other things together, um, and then you know finally are you know taking this last and have gathered like a bunch of other people. Instead, we have these senior guys. Uh, you know, uh, Glowen and uh, and Balin and which one is this guy? Is this Owen? I think it. I think, yeah, I think so. This is Owen yes. Back here. Yeah, Glowen's brother. So you got. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, Balin and Glowen and Owen and probably Bifer, though he's obviously crazy, um, and possibly <laughs> Dory, are all senior to him following mm-hmm. him because they feel they owe allegiance to his family, one would presume. Um, but again, there's a there's a big difference between saying, like, hey, let's put the, not the kid necessarily, because it doesn't look like a kid, but, um, you know, let's, let's, let, let's, let, let's help put the young master on the throne. Um, it's, just, it's just very different from you are, you are our elder and, and our kinsman and our king. Um, it's just, I, I think it really does change things. 
Yeah, it it, it, um, it certainly does change the dynamic. I don't know. I don't know if anybody will really notice, other than people like us or people who listen to this podcast. Um, uh, you know, like it, it's one of those things that that once the film gets going, you kind of just sort of skirt over it and don't really have time to consider it until after after you leave the theater and you sit and overanalyze everything, kind of like Frodo's age in Lord of the Rings and also the, the compression of time at the start of Fellowship of the Ring. It's things that I, I didn't notice the first time through until I went back and really thought about it. But um, but I do think it's going to change things. Um, yeah, what I'm also yeah. curious about is what is that on Bomber's plate? Um, cinnamon rolls. <laughs> huh. Like sticky bun. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, do we do do we were those specifically listed in the in the um, litany <laughs> no, of food that was no, served? <laughs> there's no reference to sticky buns. Um, yeah. Those are pork yeah. pies, guys. Those have no, to be they're not. Pies. Oh, uh, come on. It looks like a pork cinnamon pie. roll to me. Going away again. Do, do you think they have a? Know. Do you think they have a cinnabon in the Shire? <laughs> uh, you know, by now they might, I guess. Um, uh, okay, you know, okay, Trish, it's conceivable that those are pork pies. It's conceivable. I'm but, just trying to give Jackson the credit for maybe being, you know, consistent with the book really a little bit. Sticky buns. No, I mean, you know, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know what what Fiverr's got there. Uh, I mean, it's stew, I guess, obviously. But why he's carrying around a pot of it, <laughs> holding uh, it with his bare hand. Yes, I know. Seriously, that's hardcore right there. Um, but uh, speaking of hardcore, <laughs> Dwalin is so over the top. I find him hilarious. Um, you know him with his, uh, you know, gauntlets of steel and his uh, tattoos on his head. He's just uh, his 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 piercings. Um, yeah. He's uh, he's hysterical. pretty over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would say though, that you know one other thing. I was Go just going to say, of all the dwarves, the only two that really look the way I sort of probably expected them to before the announcers were even acted are Glowin and Balin. Yeah, yeah, they, they look pretty um, much sort of well, you know, Glowin yeah, because he looks like you. Yes. Yeah. Um, but Balin also yeah. kind of. Just the, my mental image of him. That's sort of how he looks. A, a little bit older. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I I, I had that same reaction uh, when I saw uh, Balin for the first time. Um, that that he looked, you know, nice, uh, appropriately elderly, with a kind of kindly face. Mm -hmm. um, he looks like the know, one was... that Bilbo would be friends with. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, uh, so no, I was, uh, or at least, you know, who would sort of take pity on Bilbo in a sense. Um, and of course it's, it's not like I had any mental image of Bofer really to, to, to right, run yes. with. Uh, so I was, I was fine with that. Not that I ever would have envisioned that hat, but, um, but, uh, by the way, Pete yeah, Ritzert um, says that, uh, Shire Bucks serves sticky buns. There you go. See, one would have thought so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm going with sticky buns until uh, until pork pies is proven. Um, but uh, you know, one other I think thing uh, to say we about... need to add that to our oh, our okay. list of T-shirts to produce someday. Shire bucks. 
Shirebox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see how many corporations we can be sued by. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's great. Um, <laughs> one thing I was going to comment about this scroll in general too is uh, it really struck me when I was looking at when I was looking over this that at least in my case and I I, I believe in the case of many others. Um, the uh, Peter Jackson publicity machine has been doing a really good job of accomplishing the thing that they have obviously wanted to accomplish for over a year now, which is to actually acquaint us with these dwarves so that we can tell them apart. Um, and you know, and that is such a huge project. I mean, to to imagine trying to bring a viewing audience to the place um, where they can. Uh, show up to a film for the first time and say, hey, it's Buffer! Like, that's really kind of something. Um, and I think that, you know, although, you know, many of these dwarves are pretty over the top, um, and, you know, and there are some things that I still find, uh, that I still find just silly, like uh, Keeley's beardlessness, for instance, still kind of bothers me. Um, I mean, I'm kind of Thorin. I know he's got this short, dapper beard, and and that's not entirely right. But I can live with that. Um, the idea that Keeley would have not only no beard, but be uh, but be just have, doing the stubble look, like he shaves. He obviously shaves, you know. And like I, I, I that I still struggle with. But anyway, um, I, nevertheless. I, you know, I find that like I, I do know most of them by sight now, you yep. know, and I am going to be able to tell them apart. And that's a, that's a big project, and I think I think they've done a really good job of accomplishing that. Well, um, I, one thing I would add to that too is um, this. So a lot of the promotion they've been doing the last, um, I would say, three to four months over the summer and stuff has been with the trailers and and the the previous scroll and all that. The emphasis was on kind of the the epic nature of the story. Look, there's um, uh, there's trolls that they're battling and and uh, burning trees and uh, wolves and orcs and goblins and mountains and look at this journey that Bilbo's going on. Um, right. And the the previous trailer or the most recent trailer really didn't didn't highlight the dwarves much. Um, and they've spent a lot of time investing in the, the kind of the, the, the extra epic material that they've added and the previous Lord of the Rings characters that we're familiar with, Gandalf, Galadriel, Elrond. Um, right. this, this scroll is, I, and I think uh, the strategy apparently looks like trying to, right before the film comes out, bring us back to the characters that are actually going to be on screen most of the time. And right. and as you've emphasized over and over again, um, ever since they first started releasing pictures of these dwarves, that they really um, they really want us to get to know these characters, and they don't want our experience of them to be sort of similar to the way it is in the book, which is any you know that there's a couple individual dwarves that 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 regularly sort of get named by name and described. You know, Thorin, um, uh, Balin, um, Bomber seems. To seems to get named a lot too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think for the film, they really don't want us to think of them as the dwarves. They want us to think of them as individual characters. So uh, this this seems yeah. this scroll seems to be sort of uh, right right in line with that strategy. And and as you said, it's succeeding. I think. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they're 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 succeeding remarkably well, um, and uh, the choices that they've made are, um, you know, they are as uh, you know, uh, Ed says broad characterizations, uh, and maybe not quite not all of them are quite over the top. I'm willing to accept that uh, that that correction. They certainly are broad. Um, you know, I it does not look to me like they're going um, completely that they're making it completely ridiculous, you know, that they're simply exaggerating. I mean, I could kind of wish that there weren't food sticking out of Bomber's mouth in every depiction we get of him, but, you know, um, nevertheless, um, I think that we can, yeah, you know, that's, it's not like that doesn't fit with Bomber's character, or it's not like that's not a, a sort of a predictable direction to take Bomber's character. Uh, Tolkien certainly used that for humor enough. Um, that is Bomber's fatness. So, you know, um, I think I think that it I think that it works. Um, anyway, so yeah, I I, just, I I think and you know and again, what I would come back to, and I know I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. To me, this issue of the characterization of the dwarves is something that I would point to as just like a paradigmatic example of the difference between book and film. You know, if people, you know, if you say, you know, you can't just take a book and put it up on screen, this to me is a perfect illustration of what that means, of, of what you can do in a book or what you even should do in a book, but can't do uh, in a film. It, you know, if Tolkien, and you, you can see this, this is something that you know, when you go back and you look at the manuscripts, Tolkien actually used many more characters in his initial manuscript. When he first wrote out the story by hand, um, before he revised it for even its first edition publication, he had a lot more of the dwarves taking part. You know, he was kind of trying to involve more of the characters. Um, Dwalin was a more significant character. You had other people, you know, other of the sort of random dwarves who had more lines um, than they got in the books. And what he did as he was revising, um, that is, again, just revising it for publication, he systematically removed those and consolidated the actual the few lines that there were and the actions to just a few characters. Dory, huh. Balin, Thorin. Um, you know, so he was, he was, uh, you know, Glowen's comment about, you know, look, looking more like a grocer than a burglar was kept to Glowen, um, though some other, uh, some other comments that he made are shifted over to Balin. So, I mean, it's just that, that, that's a conscious choice that you see Tolkien making, and it makes sense from a story. It makes sense. You can have this faceless group of dwar dwarves, and it's fine. You can't do that in a film. So, yeah, I, I just, I think that it's just, it's just to me, like, where I have tended to start that conversation these days, um, as as it just, I think it makes an excellent illustration of this. Um, but um, yeah. So anyway, um, let's move on to the other uh, some other images. Um, one, this is the uh, the references to the the toys here. We get some images of these uh, action figures, mm -hmm. which are you know. Which are which are definitely kind of interesting. Um, the two, the three major ones we've gotten here is this uh, Gandalf and Bolg action figure set, and then the Goblin King, so-called, and Thorin, um, which I assume means the Great Goblin. Yes. And uh, and then Grinna the Goblin. Um, Interesting that they are selling a separate action figure for him. Then we get they get some close-ups of the particularly nasty Great Goblin, uh, and of Grinoch here. So, well, also um, is pretty nasty. 
who also is pretty nasty, yes, though nasty in different ways. Um, so I, one thing, you know, the things that some of the things that struck me about this are uh, first the scale here with the great goblin. Dude, and again, he's I'm huge. Sort of, I'm gonna, I'm, he's enormous, and we, know, and you know, we know, I, this means I, I I don't know what he would be like standing next to Gandalf, but he would clearly tower over Gandalf. I mean, Gandalf can't come up higher than his shoulder. Um, so he's absolutely enormous. Now that seems okay. Um, he's a little bigger than I would have expected him, but he's supposed to be huge. Uh, I mean, again, this is another, I'm going to be, I will probably be making references to Tolkien's initial manuscripts because I've just been rereading uh, John Ratliff's The History of the Hobbit, where he goes through the, the initial manuscripts of The Hobbit. I've been rereading that in the context of the Hobbit class that I'm teaching uh, at Mythgard. So um, I've got all that stuff fresh in my mind, so I'll probably be alluding to it a lot. Um, but uh, in the manuscripts, of course, the Great Goblin, capital G, capital G, was not capitalized. That is, he was just called the Big Goblin the first time they saw him, and that kind of evolved into his title, and he was called the Great Goblin. But at first it was just a description. Um, so, you know, his bigness was the thing that was uh, sort of the initial concept of him. So, you know, like that he would be huge uh, makes sense. That is very huge, though. Yeah, I, um, um, I guess uh, if he was indeed of this size and scale, then uh, that would make sense that they would refer to him as the Great Goblin just based on yeah. his size. Yeah, yeah, you'd think. Um, the other well, thing and now I... you should go back and look at the trailer, too, because I think it actually is the Great Goblin that falls. Yeah, no, you're right. I, end, as soon as so... I saw this action yeah. figure, Trish, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, um, that, that confirms that. It is yeah, not a troll or an ogre the... or anything. Yeah, and of course also explains why I thought it looked like a troll, because he's about the size of a troll, uh, and appears to have approximately the complexion of a troll, too. Um, though more fat and less muscle, but... Um, uh, I was also interested in the Great Goblins, or excuse me, the Goblin King, and I, I don't know, by the way, exactly what to do with that, um, with the fact that this toy is labeled the Goblin King. Um, I, you know, I still maintain my traditional levels of skepticism about, uh, you know, marketing people and their accuracy. Um, so it may just be that they've decided to call him Goblin King, even though he's not you know the the fine political distinctions that could potentially be made might perhaps not be made by the merchandising people. But um, well, if if you look at the Amazon uh, link I sent you in the chat box, he actually is wearing a crown in this oh, toy really? set. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Here, let me get that I've minimized some of my windows here to uh, so that I can see the pictures. Um, okay, let's see. Oh yeah, look at that. And is that his scepter, the goat skull scepter thing? Interesting. Perplexing. Yeah. Only one left in stock. They're going fast. <laughs> this is the battle and, pack, and, I guess. And $45, good heavens. Good <laughs> lord. Indeed. Look, if you're going to spend money on Hobbit merchandise this holiday, people, buy Corey's book, not... <laughs> Not these goofy overpriced toys. Yeah. Man. Okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it does, this does raise, I mean, raise the question of exactly, and, you know, the, you know, the questions which were, um, 
you know, which we were discussing when we were doing our orc episode, are to me still there. This doesn't help me much with them. And, you know, questions like, what exactly are we supposed to understand is the relationship between the Goblin King and Azog and Bolg? Um, is he the, is the, are they making the Great Goblin as, as it seems to be, based upon the fact that he's being called the King and is, and is shown wearing a crown? Is this... Are we supposed to understand that he's the king of all the goblins of the Misty Mount of the Misty Mountains? I mean, is that is that what's happening here? Maybe he's a um, self-styled king. Yeah, well, maybe because the other thing that I was going to bring up is this hula skirt that he's wearing. Um, I, <laughs> my my main point being not that he looks particularly like a hula dancer, but that he uh, is. Mostly negative. That is, he's not rich. You know, he 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 is not opulent. He is the opposite of opulent. You know, he is almost naked and just wearing a leather hula skirt. It's not a loincloth. It's a hula skirt. So, um, you know, maybe he just has a different kind of uh, porch. You know, uh, whatever. I don't know. But anyway, he's not. He is certainly not. Um, not uh not not opulent not like he has because you'd think actually that the king of all the goblins would have some wealth would have himself a little hoard because goblins are plunderers um so you know you might think that that might happen but whatever anyway I, again so from that i take some i take that as a kind of clue about what the what his realm might be like and you know what we could expect. Um, from it's going to be in great thing. shape, I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he really he looks from, like a marathon. From the looks, of, at least, thankfully, from the looks of Grinna, it looks like um, morbid obesity is not a widespread problem in Goblin Town. Right. No, no. Uh, Grinna certainly not morbidly obese. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think. Um, Yeah. Yana suggests that the Goblin King is like uh, Morgoth hiding an angband, calling himself the king of the world. You know, like it may it, it, it could well be. I mean it could well be that we have, you know, as you said, Dave, a self styled Goblin King who is in fact entirely inappropriate as Goblin who is in fact king of almost nowhere, um, or you know, and, and who would not be in fact recognized by most of the by most by most of the goblins. Um but um uh, Anyway, um, so, uh, so so yeah. Well, that's so that's kind of so anyway. These 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 toy images were kind of were kind of interesting. Yeah, Grana not morbidly obese there, um, though it looks like he comes with a whip. Isn't that thoughtful? Um, yeah. Now, Bolg. You know, I gotta say, looking at Bolg's face, I'm not giving up on Zomborks. <laughs> I mean, he has a little Frankenstein-ish look about him, doesn't he? Um, a little and, bit. Uh, when we when but... we look at the at, at the movie posters, um, going to our riddles in the but dark he's not the one we expect to be a yeah. Zombork, is he? We expect it to be Azog. Azog? Oh yeah, because he was the one who was supposed to be dead. Well, maybe they're both Zomborks. Yeah. And what's up with this? Like these, like mummy. Mumorks are those helmets? Mumorks. <laughs> yeah, no. I you know, this whole section really like it's saying Zombork to me. You know, I, I'm I I I think our 
joke might actually pan out. I'm not sure here. Um, <laughs> what about these guys but, right uh, above Bilbo? Uh, who are these guys over here? Yeah. See, they're a little harder to tell. You've got like this dude over they here. They look kind of right skeletal. Above... Yeah, yeah, and then these guys down here below below Kiwi, and uh, you know it's possible. But see here, you know, I'm thinking of these guys down here especially look to me much more like. Um, the goblins as we saw them in the minds of Moria uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring, um, who were also, you know, gray and emaciated and, 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 and sort of undead. But, you know, they've got this uh, odd, um, you know, musculature and complexion going on. So, and this guy too, I could see, but like these guys, like looks like their faces are wrapped up or something. I mean, it just, strikes me, especially this dude here. Um, you know, this like the orc and the iron mask here, right above Feely. Um then not to mention Bolg, who looks a great deal grayer and more undead there than he does here in the toy version. But even his face even the face of his action figure is distinctly gray. Um I don't know. I don't know. Dwalin looks like he's having so much fun. He's about to hit somebody with that huge hammer, which he clearly enjoys very much. Even just the, actually the choice of which dwarves they included in this poster is kind of interesting, right? Uh, you know, Kiwi front and center. Oh, hard to believe. Didn't see that coming. Uh, Thorin with what I assume is Orcrist. Okay, good. Um, Fiwi, not surprisingly, because he is, uh, uh, you know, in the running for the, uh, you know, he's clearly the other hot dwarf, so we're going to have him. Dwalin, because this is a scene suggesting combat, and so we have, like, the totally, uh, you know, like, the combat bruiser of the group. That's not surprising. The other two, though, the fact that we get Balin in the distant background and Bifer with his hat and his, and his curly mustache... Um, those I wouldn't necessarily have expected, and that's kind of, those, those are kind of an interesting choice, I think. I, I sort hmm. of suspect from the from the trailers and things, I've been suspecting that Bifer was going to be one of the more prominent of the dwarf characters, actually. But it seems this seems to weigh against that. Yeah. Well, but I mean, yeah, yes and no, though. I mean, this is still they've only. I mean, not counting Thorin of the other twelve, they've only depicted five, and he's one of them. So. You know, the, I mean, I never expected him to rank with Fuey and Kiwi. I mean, you know, we've got, like, you know, he's not eye candy, so he's not going to be, the, you know, he's obviously not going to be thrust into, an, into an, an Orlando Bloom role, but, you know, um, uh, as far as a, a solid second-tier dwarf, uh, that, that, I could, that I could see. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, but, uh, what do you, sorry, what do you make that? of... What do you make of sort of the 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 prominence of goblins on this poster? So like we don't yeah. we don't see any other like all the other elements that were relatively confident will appear in the first film. Um, uh, trolls, other hobbits, um, eagles, wolves, uh, maybe Bjorn and his animals, yada, yada, yada. And it's probably getting perilously close to where the film might end. There's a lot of goblins. And, and, and honestly, for this part of the story, yeah, they go down to Goblin Town, but they really don't spend that long there in the book. Uh, yeah, and that does, it does suggest, I agree, that they are expanding 
the role, I mean, the goblins, it seems fairly clear, are being, I mean, if if these kinds of merchandise and imaging um, uh, things are anything to go by, it certainly does seem that they're setting up the goblins to be the primary antagonists of film one. Um, and that, you know, it does make some sense. The encounter with the goblins uh, is certainly briefer in the book than I would have expected it to be in the film, especially since, um, you know, unlike in the book where, you know, remember in the Hobbit book, goblins are, uh, in one sense, a, a, a new invention. That is, the, you know, they, they don't have the kind of history. Yes, I know that orcs uh, slash goblins already existed and were already there in the Silmarillion stuff, and he's already told all these stories that, that, that feature them as, you know, the armies of Morgoth in the Book of Lost Tales and whatnot. But um, when we meet them in The Hobbit, they are you know, one of the monsters, one of the obstacles that he faces. You know, they, they, they're more prominent than the stone giants, but they, you know, get less time than, uh, you know, some of the other creatures that he meets, such as the wood elves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's basically, the goblins are just one incident. They come back at the end, though that was not conceived by Tolkien at the time. Um, that is when he introduced, the, when he wrote chapter four, he didn't, know about the Battle of Five Armies. That was something, that was an idea that came to him later on. There wasn't going to be a battle at the Lonely Mountain. Um, there was going to be a battle, which was going to be like the Battle of Five Armies, but that was going to be on Bilbo's way home. When he was coming home from the mountain, he was going to, there was this huge battle was going to break out between the wood and the mountain with the woodmen and the goblins and the wargs and, uh, and Bjorn was going to lead an army of bears uh, and that was going to be the big climactic battle on the way home. That was that was his initial thought while he was still writing. After he had already written the Goblin chapter and moved on, that's what that's kind of what he was initially thinking. So in other words, he didn't picture the Goblins as being, you know, the major antagonists. They were going to re-encounter them as they came back through, and it was going to be, you know, he was going to kind of resolve the Goblin, Bjorn, Woodman issue, you know, the kind of political unrest that he pointed to uh, in that passage when he goes through and we have the meeting with the Goblins and Wolves. But um, but it was, um, yeah, as I said, they were never really uh, seen as sort of the major players in the book. It's impossible for us to come back to this story post Lord of the Rings and think that way, though. We, I mean, right. we know that the, the goblins are really important. So that was, um, that was. Uh oh. I lost my microphone there. You're for being attacked okay. by goblins. Yeah, I was. I was suddenly sacked there. Anyway, so, um,. Uh, it was entirely predictable, I think, that the uh, that the goblins were going to have. Uh, in fact, I, I think we did predict it. Uh, we're going to have a larger <laughs> role in this. But again, to me, what was not necessarily something I would have expected um, is the Azog and Bolg thing. That mm-hmm. is this separation. Um, you know, we, when we were originally talking about it months and months ago, now like ten months ago, we were. Going under the, uh, we we were operating on the premise that the likeliest course they would take is simplification, that they weren't going to multiply uh, goblin chieftains. This is why we were thinking maybe they're just going to conflate the Battle of Azanulbazar with the Battle of Five Armies. Maybe they're going to combine Azog and Bolg, roll all of their characters into one, and possibly even we debated at the time, uh, maybe maybe the Great Goblin too. Yep. Um, because that that would be one way to approach it. They're not doing that. In fact, they're emphatically not doing that. They're 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 clearly creating a whole separate plot for Bolg and Azog, whatever it is. Um, 
and uh, that's you know and that's I think very interesting. And I, I'll be I'll, that's it's it's one of the things. It's definitely on my short list of uh, things that I will be very interested to see uh, when the actual film comes out. Things I will be I will be particularly anticipating is what the heck is up with Bold. Yeah, that, that is true. Um, and and a- Azog, it's it, it, that is a I hadn't sort of hadn't sort of uh, brought this full circle and thought back to our original um, predictions. But you're right, our original speculations were that they would that there were essentially were too many um, goblin orc characters here, and that it would confuse the viewers, and that they would you know, and, and that they didn't really want to delve into the long, complicated um, uh, orc. Uh, dwarf history, um, right. and uh, and uh, th- that they would roll these characters together, and they're like you said, they're doing exactly the opposite. They're actually expanding mm-hmm. their roles. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. No, it's I, very I, I still I'm I'm very interested to see how much they really do get into the long sordid history of the the dwarves and the goblins. I am interested to see that. Well, yeah, and I I. I can't imagine that they're going to expand on the goblins and make the interactions of the dwarf party with the goblins, um, you know, such a central part of the first film and not talk about it. I mean, one thing that they're clearly going to be playing up is the history of, you know, Thorin's family and the desire to restore the kingdom uh, and everything else. I, 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 you know, that that is clearly going to be a major part of things, a, a more major part than it was in the book. And I say a more major part because it was there in the book. But again, the primary motivation of the, if you actually listen to what they say, if you don't think about what you know from the Lord of the Rings and you don't think about what you learn in the appendices of the Lord of the Rings and you just listen to what the dwarves say in The Hobbit, mm-hmm. what they talk about is not the kingdom, but the gold. They're, yep. they're all about the treasure. Smaug has our treasure and we want it back. Yep. Um, this is a this is this is about money. It's about profit. That's what they care about. They're much less interested. Even Thorin doesn't so much talk about, um, you know, the kingdom of his fathers and and you know like the, the honor of the family name and um, you know his rightful throne. And no, he like he asserts his he assert, yeah he asserts his position as king under the mountain. You know, solely, not solely, but largely to cement his claim to the treasure. Right, exactly. I mean, you can tell that, I mean, really, this is one of the things that this is, this is to me the primary subtext of the, uh, of the conversation that Thorin has with Roach the Raven when Roach is telling him that the treasure is likely to be his death and that he's not going to be able to survive with, uh, without the friendship of the kingdoms around him. To me, the subtext of this is. Thorin, you have a choice here, um, a choice between actually ruling a kingdom and possibly ha- and trying to hang on to your treasure. Um, you can't have both of those things. If mm-hmm. you want to build a kingdom, you've got to give away some of your treasure. You can't just keep it all um, and turn away everybody. Um, you've got to make friends with people. And, of course, that's what, that's what Dan does as soon as he comes in. Is he is he starts giving away the treasure? He become he is he is a good king. Good kings give away treasure um, to 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 win the loyalty and devotion of their followers. And Thorin won't. I mean, so when it comes to him to choose, um, which which would you rather be a good king, or 
a very rich dwarf, he chooses very rich dwarf. This is why Gandalf says to him in the book, you know, you're not making a, a, a very fine figure as king under the mountain here. Um, you are being a crappy king. But that's clearly not what Thorin cares about. And yes, he's under the influence of the dragon gold and, and you know, in some senses, perhaps not quite in his right mind. But actually, it's pretty consistent. Or rather, I would say this choice by him is the natural extension of what he's been focused on uh, all the way through. I mean, their song at the beginning, to win our harps and gold from him. That's their point, not to reestablish our ancient kingdom. Um, so, but anyway, what I gather from Thorin and I this I gather from not only the things that we've heard Thorin say in the trailers but from how they've depicted Thorin even like that soulful look with his with his dapper beard um you know it, he looks like he is somebody who carries who cares more about those abstract things more about reestablishing his family name and his family rights and the kingship that he should have rather than simply the treasure than it being about recovering gold only. Right. Um, and Dave so and therefore... I talked about this in our digest the other day. Remember, Dave, uh, one of the things that I had pulled from an Armitage interview is that Armitage said in his characterization of Thorne, he went to Shakespeare, to Henry V and to Richard III as his, like, inspirations in Thorne's character. So that really supports more of what you just said, Corey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, that kind of high, you know, kingship ideal. Not that Richard III is a particularly high kingship ideal, but, um, but, but yes, exactly. I mean, uh, that, 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 that he would make, um, you know, if he's going to be making speeches and thinking about Henry V, that's very different from, um, from, you from know, to Thorin to of the Hobbit school. book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, Anyway, that's um, there's that, that that's something. But as it relates now again back to the goblins, for this reason, I've got to think that the family history um, is going to be, you know, a major role. I mean, yeah. I think that that's going to be a big thing. But again, how that fits in, where Bolg and Azog fit into that exactly, and how they are connected or disconnected to um, the great goblin. Those are those are well. That's um. On that on that note, that's what our most recent uh, conundrum question from just the other day that we posed uh, was. Um, one of the things that Armitage said hinted at the hinted at the nature of Thror's death. Um, right. He he mentions Azog beheading him. I, I think he actually the way he actually says it, it sounds like he meant he's talking about Th uh, um, Azog beheading Thorin. So we we infer that he means Thror, but he mentions right. uh, Azog beheading him in a battle. So um, I, I'm sort of my speculation is that one of the ways that they're going to simplify the backstory is uh, is that rather than have, you know, this long, complicated thing of, of, of the dwarves being kicked out of Moria and then being kicked out of the Lonely Mountain and then Thor goes crazy and goes back to Moria and then he disappears and then he gets his head out, cut off, blah, 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 blah. They're just going to simplify it down to, yeah, there was a big battle once and Azog cut off Thor's head during it. Right. You know, right. never mind the fact that in the in the proper canon, the Thor's uh, beheading is actually the reason for the giant battle. The reason for the battle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but, but that's easy to skirt over in a film. Eh, you know, dwarves and goblins are always fighting. So there was a battle once, and Azog cut off Thor's head. So we're mad at him. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, that I would find a forgivable degree of compression. Um, I mean, the full story is rather... I mean, you have to get into the whole, you know, not only loss of the Lonely Mountain, but the loss of, uh, you know, the... the, the the loss of Moria and and I don't know I mean it's it does get it it, it does get pretty complicated and then to set up Thor's character as you know as Tolkien describes it in the book as you know somewhat cracked um it's just yeah that would be hard um but um but yeah I'm still uh, I'm still enthusiastic about Thor's decapitated head with Azog branded across the forehead um so uh yeah, that'll be awesome. Um, uh, one thing Ed was pointing out is that this uh, poster we've been talking about, uh, he was characterizing this as the Escape from the Tunnels poster. Um, and, you know, that actually is is a very interesting possibility. Um, I hadn't thought of that, but of course we do have Bilbo holding the ring as if he has just picked it up in the bottom right-hand corner. Um, the dwarves... Uh, the dwarves in combat and surrounded by goblins, and then there is Gandalf looking kind of interestingly deer in the headlights in that particular image um, with his lit-up staff. It certainly does, but if if it is, then my question is, wait, Bolg is involved there? Telling um, you, this is the, Bolg's going to be the, the bad guy that shows up in every scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going to be the recurring dude. Yeah. So yep. that is a good that is a good point. Well, maybe um, maybe the Gandalf Bolg uh, uh, um, uh, little scene there, and this is this is something that um, uh, Brent Sprinkle asked, like why why is um, I think it was uh, him on there asked why is Bolg in the the first film at all? Um, if I recall from the character descriptions, they hinted at Bolg being at Dol Guldur. So um, maybe the Gandalf Bolg stuff here is from Dol Guldur. From the 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 yeah maybe maybe David Bond-esque says that the toy sneaking. page said Bolg is a chieftain under the Goblin King. Um, huh. Okay, okay, I. Um, Interesting. Okay. Which uh, <laughs> provide link, David? Provide link. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, again, I'm always a little bit skeptical about marketing stuff by you know remember as i said before uh i i i don't come in with the assumption that marketing materials put out around toys and posters and things like that necessarily have much more connection to it than the blurbs that the you know the summaries on the back of books have to do with books um you know i i uh, so therefore i have a you know a sort of grain of um, grain of grain of salt there but uh um so if this is the the tunnels poster, where's Gollum? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, yeah, I don't know. Um, None of these it, goblins on here is a badly drawn Gollum, is it? No. Like the guy in the lower left-hand corner? I don't think so, no. <laughs> no, because there's two of them. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't think so. Um but no, this seems to be sort of more action-oriented. I mean, Bilbo is certainly the one of all of them that doesn't really quite fit into this image. I mean, he's very static, whereas the rest of the dwarves look like they're rushing, especially Feely's sort of leaning forward like he's running. Um, you know, Dwalin looks like he's about ready to charge anyway. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's... Um, it's I, I, I would definitely say that... Um, 
they're, you know, they, they, they look like they're in motion, whereas Bilbo is just sort of standing up straight. Um, uh, so is Gandalf, but he's at least looking forward, like he's looking up at something, even if he's not running towards it or away from it. Um, so well, it, it makes sense. They were running out of the tunnels while um, Bilbo was stuck down in the hole with Gollum. <laughs> still, still look, still staring at his ring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, good. Good. So I'm kind of looking through some of the other images here to see if there's anything. I like this. I to touch on. Oh yeah, the, the dwarf key. Uh huh. Dwarf key is pretty cool. I don't know what's up with that. I guess it's not actually loose. It's not actually hanging. It looks like nice. But anyway, no. This is this is a very cool. Uh, a very cool dwarf key, and you can see um, uh, their, uh, um, you know, you you can see them, you know, very much picking up on um, stuff from. The only thing uh, is, this doesn't look like a very secure lock. What you, what you mean, like it looks like it'd be easy to pick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really kind of does. But I guess since the keyhole itself is uh, obscured, at least in the story, um, uh, presumably you don't have much chance to do that. Yana said, I have no idea how this key would actually function as a standard key. Yes, I don't either. Uh, That was my first thought, too, when I saw it. It looks really cool, but but yeah, it's not not entirely clear. Um, Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, okay, right, these are just from the scroll there. Where's the? Let me, let me go back here. Got to get rid of some of my other windows so I can see this. Because I thought there was. Are there any of the others that I don't know? Oh yeah, there's the, this uh, dwarf picture, of course. Uh, the poster with all of the dwarves. Um, and apart from the fact that Ori looks crazy, um, I think it's uh, you know all relatively straightforward. Or and Bomber has custard on his mustache. Uh huh. Yeah, Bomber again with food sticking out of his mouth. So uh, that's uh, that's sort of par for the course. Oh, and I wanted to apologize. I meant Bofer before. I was saying Bifer when I was saying that there was Bifer in the other poster. No, it's it's of course Bofer. Bifer is the dude with the axe sticking out of his forehead. I I just misspoke. I meant Bofer. Um. Uh. Anyway. Okay. Well, uh, that's enough for uh, um, images. Um, I th- yeah, I think that was that was, those are all the images that I wanted to talk about. Um, we can talk about. I want to talk about our primary topic, which uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that we covered um, because we've alluded to it several times, and we've alluded even more times to the uh, our plan to come back and talk about it more. So I want to actually do that. Um, here I'm gonna uh, cut the video there. Okay. Um, and we wanted to talk about Sauron and how Sauron is going to be handled in this film. And, you know, one question that occurs to me is um, what what their plans are for the revelation of things. And this, again, is one of the things that puzzles me. I, I, I do agree that everything we've seen in the last few, you know, in the last month or so does seem to be consistent with the fact of stopping the film after uh, out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, much as Dave, you and I were unwilling to believe that at first, uh, I still hold all of the opinions that I held then about why I find that, would find that a puzzling decision. I still find it a puzzling decision. Um, and to me, this, there's this villain question, which is very difficult because 
one thing is clear, has been clear for a long time, that they're not going to reveal the dragon in the first film. So that's one major villain, uh, you know, the obvious number one villain of the Hobbit story, the dragon, um, who is going to be held off until at least film two. Presumably we will get him in film two, since his name is in the title of the film now, um, uh, The Desolation of Smaug. So, uh, okay, he's going to be revealed in, in film two. Are they going to hold off the Necromancer too? We don't get much indication that we're getting him in the trailers or anything. Um, are we going to get him at all? Um, is he going to be held off until later? You know, if the Goblin King and possibly Bolg are uh, going to be the primary um, the primary antagonists in film number one, um, what, you know, what role, if any, is the Necromancer going to play? And uh, and I think that this is uh, it. it you know, this is a, this is a big interpretive decision uh, for Jackson, and it's one of the things that's made really challenging um, by coming to this from the Lord of the Rings perspective, as he's done. That you know, how is he going to signal Sauron? Is he going to is he going to be is he he going to have there being any kind of mystery about it? Is is Gandalf going to discover that it's Sauron and explain that to the audience? And if so, when? Is he going to depict Sauron on screen? I remember saying months ago that I found it very significant, and I still do, that Benedict Cumberbatch has apparently been cast as the necromancer. Um, this suggests to me, as I said before, that he's going to be given lines, and I have always found that idea of the necromancer having lines uh, in one of these films or other uh, quite interesting. Uh, and quite uncertain, and not, and I, and and how I, do, I don't really know what to do with that. So, um, so that's our big question here: is how are we going to see the necromancer? What what do we expect to see from the necromancer? Um, so, yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, of course, from the books, we get almost nothing. I mean, we know that. Well, okay, let me be careful about that. It's true that we get almost nothing in the published Hobbit about the Necromancer. Um, you know, we get almost no details about him. We're told that he is an evil sorcerer, that he lives in southern Mirkwood, uh, that he has a, a tower there, that Thorin's dad was his captive. Um, those are the things that we know. And then we know at the end, in Chapter 17, that he was kicked out of Mirkwood by the count, the White Council of Wizards. Apparently there's a bunch of good wizards, and uh, Gandalf is one of them, and they all got together um, and kicked the Necromancer out of Mirkwood. That seems to be just like wizard-on-wizard wizard action. One bad wizard and a bunch of good wizards. Uh, the good wizards got together and chased away the bad wizard. That is how it's described in Chapter 17 of The Hobbit. Of course, later on, Tolkien recontextualizes this, and we understand both the White Council differently, because there do not seem to be, in fact, a whole bunch of good wizards running around, though that seems to be the implication in Chapter 17 of The Hobbit. And, um, and the Necromancer, of course, is not just a sorcerer. He is not. He is not like a wizard gone rogue, a wizard turned to evil. Uh, he turns out to be more than that. Now, the reason I paused before and said I want to be careful in saying that the book doesn't say much about him, and that's because, although the book doesn't say much about the necromancer, um, it is clearly building the necromancer's character on a foundation which Tolkien himself had well established. As I know, I've said before. 
the fact that the Necromancer becomes Sauron is not a new thing that Tolkien invents later on in the Lord of the Rings context. He is when he puts the character of the necromancer in a dark tower in southern Mirkwood, he is only recycling material that he himself had already developed uh, in the Silmarillion stuff. Um, Wynn, Baron, and Luthien, with a strong assist from Who on the Hound, who does most of the work, um, when they kick Sauron who is called Thu in the, early, uh, in the earlier drafts, when they kick Thu out of that tower, um, that he is occupying, and he flees uh, in the shape of a bat and goes to a forest and fills it with dread and builds himself a, a more terrible stronghold. When we hear that that happens, um, uh, you know, again, he's called a necromancer. So when, in the, when the Hobbit refers to it, it is referring to this idea of the necromancer whom we know to be Sauron's. Right. Uh, you know, or r rather, we would know if we had read The Lay of Lathian, which nobody had. Um, Apparently anyway, the White it, Council it hadn't even read it. Right, exactly. Apparently the White Council had not read The Lay of Lathian. Of course they wouldn't. It wasn't published. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so... so there is more, much more backstory to the necromancer that appears in The Hobbit than appears to be if you only read uh, The Hobbit itself. Um, so, so what do we do with this? Where do we go? Well, there are several options with Sauron. Of course, one, you know, Peter Jackson could, if he chose, dip into some of the other stuff from Tolkien's writings. There is lots of emphasis. One of Sauron's favorite tricks is to dress himself up as an angel of light, you know, to appear as a kind and friendly dude. Um, and this is how he deceived Celebrimbor and the elven, you know, the Noldoran smiths of Eregion. Um, this is how, you know, he, he's also, you know, not in... Uh, his evil tyrant form when he goes to Numenor uh, and uh, works himself into the confidence of the king of Numenor. Um, Sauron has a long history of being able to adopt an attractive appearance and deceive people into thinking that he's something that he isn't. Um, uh, one, so, now, I, I know, before anybody corrects me, I know that according to the history that Tolkien has set up, Sauron has already lost that power at this point, that he never appears in a fair form again after his body sinks into the void with Numenor. He's still sitting on the island of Numenor, cackling maniacally uh, when Numenor falls into the sea. His spirit returns to Middle-earth uh, and takes form again, uh, but he, we are told, never takes a fair form afterwards. Yes, I know that's true, but again, you know, that is a rather small amount of license to permit the filmmakers uh, that they could bend that little point. Um, so anyway, the concept of having Sauron appear in fair form is one possibility that's out there. Um, he could, but another big question is how much visual connection are they going to want to establish between the necromancer character in The Hobbit and Sauron in the Lord of the Rings films? Um, are we going to see anything that looks like a flaming eyeball? You know, are we going to see... And by the way, uh, you know, I take the flaming eyeball business to be a nod on the part of the filmmakers to the fact that Sauron has not yet fully regained his strength. That is, we don't see him having physical form um, after Isildur cuts the ring off his hand. Um, 
So the flaming eyeball is not, I think, supposed to be, though everybody jokes about it, and it is quite funny, um, is not, I think, supposed to be like the bodily form of Sauron currently, but just a visual manifestation of, you know, his evil will looking out from his tower. Um, and that the implication, at least the implication that the films themselves seem to leave open, is the fact that he is not or cannot take a body yet until he gets the ring back. So that's another possibility. Do we see him not in any kind of physical form? Um, you know, that is also not in his uh, Battle of the Last Alliance big, you know, spiky pot helm um, and enormous mace form. Um, you know, because again, he's still just taking shape. He's still regaining his strength. Um, so do we see him as some kind of wraith thing? Um, that's another, it seems to me, another possibility. Um, we could not see him at all. Um, you know, he could be, he could, he, he could never appear on screen directly. Um, so anyway, there are, I, th I think that there are, there are a lot of options here um, that, that they could have. Uh, you know, of course, I'm thinking primarily of options from the perspective of, um, you know, what Tolkien describes him. This is not to say that they're going to uh, use one of the Tolkien canonical options. Uh, they could go in totally different directions. Dave, do you think they're or other sort of likely options uh, that I haven't uh, that I haven't mentioned uh, that they could do, which might be totally unlike you know Tolkien's ideas. Uh, not really. I think you pretty much covered. I mean, he he he's either going to be he'll either be in it or he won't. And if he doesn't appear on screen, maybe we'll hear his voice. Uh, if he does appear on screen, he'll either be he'll be a humanoid or he won't be. Um, so I feel like you've, you've kind of covered the, I can't really think of anything. The only, the only one is, uh, Yana feels, I think, is it Yana who said it? Feels pretty strongly about the, the black cat form, giant black cat Sauron. Oh yes. Devildo Prince of Cats. Yeah. This is like the throwback Sauron. Uh, yeah. And let me explain that to people who haven't read the book of lost tales. Um, uh, in the book of lost tales, the position in the narrative of the necromancer Sauron is played by Tevildo, Prince of Cats, who is this uh, huge, evil, like, cat demon. He's not even really a demon. He's just a giant cat who is evil. Um, uh, and uh, cat people, by the way, will be deeply offended by this story because dogs are, like, Tolkien was obviously a dog person because the dogs are the heroes and the cats are, are evil and lazy um, and uh, are finally overcome by the virtuous dogs, so... You know, just kind of disclaimer on that. But anyway, yeah, so the, the Tevildo, the Prince of Cats, is the one who captures Baron and from whose prison Luthien rescues him, though he's not held in a dungeon. He is made a kitchen slave. <laughs> uh, he's made to serve as first a hunter and trapper and then a kitchen slave to serve in Tevildo's kitchen. Uh, and it's actually a knife that he stole, a kitchen knife that he stole from Tevildo's kitchen that he uses to cut the Silmaril off of the Iron Crown of Morgoth. <laughs> Uh, actually, he like he totally he totally just like borrows a steak knife and uses that to cut off the the the, the Silmaril. Fun fact. But anyway, so he um uh, I mean, and it's basically the story in the Book of Lost Tales. That element, anyway, of the tale of Tenuvio from the Book of Lost Tales, essentially works in a kind of mythic mode that Tolkien did quite a bit more in his earlier writing, 
which was like a mythic explanation for a modern phenomenon. So basically this story was designed to be like the mythic explanation of why dogs and cats hate each other um, because of who on the hound and Tevildo, Prince of Cats. Now, as we know, those you know people familiar with the Silmarillion will know who on survives um, and he remains you know, a, one of the central heroes of the Baron and Luthien story. Tevildo, Prince of Cats, his arch, his arch nemesis, uh, has disappeared. And his role is, is uh, played by Sauron Thu, the necromancer, instead, who now becomes the one who is uh, guarding the passes and who takes Baron captive and from whose dungeon Luthien and Huon have to rescue him. Um, so actually, really... Uh, it's even even um, even Christopher Tolkien kind of um, sort of falls into saying that like Sauron was originally Tevildo, the Prince of Cats. I don't. To me, that never seems like a really accurate way to describe it. I would say that you know the role of Sauron was played by Tevildo, Prince of Cats. There's there, there's I don't think is any real sense in which the Prince of Cats turns into Sauron or like Sauron was conceived at one point to be the Prince of Cats. Um, it's just that he takes out entirely, he ditches the character to build a Prince of Cats and invents the character of Sauron instead. So, so you're way. saying it's unlikely Sauron will appear in cat form on screen in The Hobbit? I consider it unlikely, yes. Um, <laughs> though, I mean, it would be a really... I mean, talk about your, like, bones to throw to diehard Tolkien fans. I mean... Though I don't think like the Book of Lost Tales fanatics are a sufficiently large demographic that Peter Jackson would pander to them, but, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that would be that would be some serious Tolkien fan street cred if they made it to Bilbo Prince of Cats reference in the Hobbit. I got to tell Daniel... you, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Yeah. Yes, uh, <laughs> there was a there was an interview. Um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch it... did an interview at a, a literary festival this past weekend, and he basically says that he did motion capture for the Necromancer. Ah, so now, that, of course, now that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be in the first film, though. In, for, in so, film one, yeah, I was just yeah. about right. to say that. And yeah. and I, and I I don't think it necessarily means anything really, other than he's playing the necromancer, and the necromancer probably appears on screen in one of the films. But it doesn't. I, I you know you you could argue like oh well obviously he's going to be humanoid, but no, not true. He did motion capture for Smaug as well, and Smaug's not a humanoid, so. So I, right, I and that's the context actually that he made that statement as he was talking about the motion capture for Smaug, and then he said, and I also did motion capture for so the Necromancer. So I don't so. think it. I actually think, in terms of informing our speculation about the first film, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's actually, um, it's actually not nearly as exciting as as it first seems. It's like, wow, oh, well, that that must mean, uh, well, actually, okay, though it doesn't actually mean much. <laughs> well, okay, the one thing that it means is that he will not only be a flaming eyeball, because presumably <laughs> hey, Benedict Cumberbatch isn't doing motion capture for a flaming eyeball. Maybe they just wired up his eye. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine those like little light bulb things sticking off of his eye socket. No, I don't think that. I really don't think that would work. Um, uh, well, and I do think it gives us certainty that the necromancer is going to show up at some point, not right in now. But, the first movie, but we kind of just we assume that was true anyway. Yes, but I, I I would still hold that doesn't actually prove that he's going to be in corporeal form. He no, could yeah. still be a right right thing. Which, they, I mean, just as they're doing motion capture for a large reptilian dragon, he could be doing right. motion capture for, for a cloud. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> not, not like not this is just a cloud, but yeah, for some kind of some kind of ghostly wraith sort of figure. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah. So I, I mean, I, I do think I do think that. I mean, in fact, in some ways, actually. The fact that he's doing motion capture for the necromancer suggests strongly to me that he's not just going to be, I mean, if he's humanoid, he's not just going to be human. Um, you know, we're certainly not just going to be an Anatar Lord of Gifts who looks, you know, relatively human or elfin and normal. Um, we do or like Daniel says, capture. he could be a werewolf. He could be a werewolf. werewolf was that, one of his that too would be awesome. That would that would be another major, uh, major uh, not just Book of Lost Tales, but uh, but Silmarillion uh, and uh, early draft of Silmarillion stuff. Tolkien street cred moment. Uh, the you know the, the werewolves of the Wizard's Isle. It is you know he is Lord of Werewolves is one of the titles of Sauron uh, in mm-hmm. the early Silmarillion material. Um, so yeah, absolutely, that would be awesome. Maybe he, he is, werewolves. in fact, the giant white wolf thing that was mentioned in the character descriptions. <laughs> maybe, maybe that would be interesting. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, so yeah, it, it does seem to me he's not just going to be a normal guy in costume. But again, that doesn't to me rule out. Um, so clearly, they're doing some kind of CGI thing with him, but. But that could be that 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 could mean so much. I mean, it could just mean that, um, you know, his appearance is going to be, you know, such that they would rather accomplish it with CGI than with costuming, um, which you know makes perfect sense. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, yeah. Um, the, no, that, I no. do think. Well, I don't Sorry, know. I was going to say he's not a vampire. He's not going to be a vampire. You're they sure about that? Oh, they better not do vampire. That would just—that's just a pure misunderstanding. There are no vampires in Tolkien. They're just bats. They're vampire bats. When Tolkien says vampire, he means bats. Oh, fine. Um, it's maybe it'll be a giant a bat. bat. No blood-sucking undead creatures in Tolkien. Period. Just there's no evidence of it anywhere. Um, does that rule out no, zombie? He, no, it doesn't rule out zombie, but it does rule out vampires. So, uh, yeah, no, that's fine. And uh, and but if, taking a form of a giant bat, he does that. He that's exactly how he escapes from Who on the Hound. So, um, so yeah, uh, him turning into a huge bat, perfectly kosher. Is that going to make everybody think of Dracula? Yes. So I doubt they'll do it. But um, but anyway, yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, can we talk a little bit about? what we think his role in the storyline is going to be and how how directly or not directly involved in whatever story whatever story is going on screen like what what do we think his role is going to be especially in the first film but we can we can sort of speculate larger picture too you know, I agree. Even in, and I agree that's a really good question because even in the Lord of the Rings films, he was more figurehead than character. Um, you know, he is the Dark Lord, and he is, uh, you know, the one who is ruling all these armies. And we, uh, you know, we hear him say, "I see you," and we, you know, and, and, and we get the, um, uh, yeah, I mean. We get that, you know, he communicates with, uh, uh, you know, build me an army worthy of Mordor. You know, <laughs> we, um, like so we get some, we get some lines and stuff. His role was creepy voice. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So we know he's there, um, but he's. I mean, I don't think you could call him a character exactly. I mean, he, you know, he he he's not exactly a personal presence in the film. Um, I, well, okay. I was going to say I would expect him to be more of a presence in this film. But that's but that's not quite fair. Um, I'm not sure I would have predicted that if you'd asked me that two years ago. Um, you know, are they going to make the necromancer more of a more of a character, more of a personal presence than he was in the Lord of the Rings films? I probably would have said no. Um, what um, inescapably biases the my answer to this question, however, is merely the knowledge that they cast Benedict Cumberbatch to play him. I mean, if you're going to cast a major actor and quite a good actor, by the way, um, to play the role of the necromancer, that tells me they're making him into a bigger character. Who was cast as Sauron in The Lord of the Rings? Anybody know? I mean, he doesn't really have anybody playing him because he doesn't appear. Um, I mean, presumably somebody did those like creepy voiceovers, but um, but that's really it. So um, so clearly, the fact that they have somebody doing him um, is is you know means that he's going to be more of a presence, and I actually think that that's a really a really good move and an interesting move and really a necessary move. Sauron's role in the Lord of the Rings is actually quite indirect. He's a you know he is a fact of life throughout the entire plot, but nobody ever opposes him. Nobody ever. I mean, other than Isildur, of course, where we do see him, but uh, you know through the main uh, you know chronological plot of the Lord of the Rings, no one is directly opposing him. It's about can Frodo get the ring to the cracks of doom? And if he does, then the Dark Lord will fall. Um, in the Hobbit story, we get a direct attack on him, on the Necromancer. We have this this showdown, um, or at least this potential showdown, um, whether or not they do an anticlimactic thing and just have Sauron you know, go away and not have a big battle. Um, uh, or, you know, at least not, not actually put up a, a particular fight. It seems to me a possibility. But anyway, we've got this confrontation between the White Council and the Necromancer. He is more personally involved for that reason, I think, and therefore needs to be some kind of a, not just, some kind of a completely faceless, creepy voiceover. Um, but... <sighs> in the first film. But I, but I still am not sure what that means about how they're going to do it and right. how they're going to depict him. Is he going to look corporeal? Is he going to be ghostly? Um is he going to be um is he you know and 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 then again specifically for the first film, is he going to stay off screen? Um are we going to get and I, I might as well officially enumerate our options. This is our riddle question for today. How will the necromancer appear? By the, the way, I modified film? them. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, did you? I should go yeah. back and check then before I before I, uh, I, I uh, well, well, why don't you do them then, Dave? Sure. I will. I will. Sure. Okay. And I'll point out where where I modify okay, them. Okay. Yep. 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 I I I agree with your. Uh, so uh, we uh, have we have five of them this time. Um, okay. Option A yep. is he'll be referred to in dialogue, which is probably almost a certainty. But uh, yes. but he will make no direct appearance on the screen. I think we can we can stipulate that he will have some impact or role in the film even if it's just to be named yes yes um, yeah would be yeah. highly yeah. Un unusual to not even mention him in the first film and then have him show <laughs> yeah. up i i don't think that's an option yeah well and that's the book answer right yeah the book answer is he'll be referred to in dialogue but will make no direct yep. appearance we don't hear him we don't see him yes. we don't meet him 
um, he is talked ab- he is talked about. And so, even if, of course, he's going to be talked about a great deal more than in the actual published book, A is still the book answer. Yep. B is uh, he he won't appear on camera, but we'll hear his voice. So this is this is kind of um, the the Saruman talking to him through the Palantir type option. We'll hear him, you know, creepily talking to somebody or issuing commands or telling people he's spying on them or something. Um, uh, C is the one I added, which is um, he will appear in a form that we saw in the Lord of the Rings films. So as a black armored humanoid with a spiky crown or uh, a flaming eyeball um, I don't know if we want to include the his Anatar Lord of Gifts fair form since that was in the uh, the deleted scenes. I don't know if that counts. Uh, nah. All right. Well, we'll um, let's call that 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 will be rolled into option E. Um, yeah, so be so option C is he'll appear on screen, but whatever form he takes uh, will be one that we've previously seen in a Lord of the Rings film as shown on screen in theater. Right. All right. And this means like designed so that the audience will recognize him. Yes. You know, the, 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 that is the, the, the fans of the Lord of the Rings films will see this guy appear on screen and be like, it's Sauron. You know, that's yes. Yeah. Now, um, what do, what do we want to if let's suppose for some reason they give him a dark black hooded figure so that he looks kind of like a ring wraith? Does that count as C? No. Okay. It good. doesn't. That's what because I, I we agree. wouldn't look at him and say it's Sauron. We'd be like, dude, is that a ring wraith? And then later on we'd be like, no, it's Sauron. So that counts as non Lord of the Rings. Form. Okay. So, and and it's fine if there's a very if if it's if it doesn't look identical, but if if yeah. most reasonable people would agree that if, if most reasonable people their first reaction would be, hey, that must be Sauron, or that right. looks just like Sauron, um, then right. then that's what it means. Yeah. Um, yeah. Option D is he will appear in a non-corporeal, non-Lord of the Rings form, so some kind of wraith or shadow. Um, uh, something like that. Um, And then option E is he will appear in a corporeal non-Lord of the Rings form, uh, maybe like a cloaked hooded wizard. That's kind of what you think of when you think of necromancer, maybe in his fair form, maybe as a werewolf or a giant black cat or whatever. Right, right. Giant vampire bat, something (laughs) along those lines. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay, those are the options. Now, here's... And this is only for the first film. Only for the first film. That's right. That's always... That is true without exception for the next two months. That's right. All of our questions... I know, but I think it bears... It bears repeating, I think, for the listeners. (laughs) This is not a prediction about what we think he might eventually appear like. Um, This is in film one, how will he appear? So basically, you first have to answer the question, do you think he will visually appear or not? Um, If you think not, then your answer is either A or B. Either he's just going to be talked about or we're going to hear him off stage, you know, but we're not going to see him. Um, if you think he's going to appear, if we think that we're going to, if he's going to, if he's going to appear on screen, then the question is C, D, or E. Um, Is he going to be Lord of the Rings recognizable? Is he going to be is he going to look different but non-corporeal, different and corporeal? Um, those are those are the major options. And for me, the question I'm still struggling with this. I still haven't fully made up my mind. And the reason I haven't fully made up my mind is that I still can't 
get my mind around the reveal and how these things are going to be timed. I would have thought that film one, I mean, this is why, again, back to what I was saying before, the idea of stopping film one after the, the out of the frying pan into the fire stuff, it just, it leaves so much still to do in the two films. It seems like we don't gain anything. Uh, and, you know, in particular, if we're going to make very little progress on either the White Council plot or the Smaug story itself in film one, both of those are left to be done in film two and three. So where is, and this is still to me the thing, I don't know it, I can't figure out at all, where on earth is the Dol Golder stuff going to fall? If film two is going to be, as is suggested by the title, dominated by Smaug, and we're going to get, you know, so maybe film two ends with the death of Smaug, I guess, though, goodness, Bjorn to the death of Smaug is a huge tract of plot to get through, even if you don't do any White Council action. Yep. Um, but if you don't do any white council, so but say they do try to get through all through all that, and they don't have any major attack on Dol Guldur, well then what? You're going to do it in book th- in in film three, when you have still the whole battle of five armies to do, and now we've got the timing thing. Are we actually going to do like a, a sort of a, a split screen? You know, meanwhile on the moon of Endor, here's what's going on, and we've got you know the battle <laughs> of Dol Guldur going on. At the same time that the are you suggesting there will be Ewoks? (laughs) Hedgehogs, my friend. (laughs) That's right. But but anyway, uh, no, I mean, I'm just, of course, suggesting that you know the possibility that he's going to do a like end of Return of the Jedi, multiple like battle fronts going on at the same time kind of thing, with the Battle of Five Armies and the Battle of Dol Guldur. I wouldn't think so, mostly because where the heck is Gandalf? He's got to be in one place or the other, right? Um, and uh, and and it kind of seems like he would need to be in both, unless the unless the rest of them. I mean, unless uh, you know, Elrond and Galadriel are going to go in without him. Yeah, like, hey, we got this. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. No, it's fine, Gandalf. You you go up north. Uh, yeah, we you know the two of us and and Saruman and uh, and uh, maybe Radagast and the Hedgehogs can handle this. Um, maybe, maybe, but, um, I, I really think that this is, again, this is just what I don't understand. If we're not going to do that, um, if they're not going to be happening at the same time, then timing wise, how is it going to, it just does not seem that there's room in the second film, um, to get all the way to Smaug's death and still devote some time to the development of the Dal Gulder plot to the point where that would really come to a head there. Um, so yeah, I this this is the 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 sort of plot structure question that I still don't get at all, um, and so therefore I'm having a hard time figuring out where the necromancer is going to be revealed and and when he's going to come into this story. Um, clearly, the White Council stuff is going to be brought in to the first film. We're getting lots of 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 White Council setup, and Gandalf trying to get to the bottom of this whole you know, necromancer Mirkwood thing. Um, clearly that's going to be happening in the first film. So, you know, maybe we are going to get a reveal of him in the first film. Maybe he is going to show up um, and that plot just won't be, you know, brought to its, that subplot won't be brought to its conclusion uh, during film one. Um, but 
with all of the emphasis being placed on the goblins as the primary antagonists of um, of this first film, it kind of seems like the White Council material is going to be mostly ground-laying, you know, as they're talking about what's going on and what should we do. Um, and it's certainly hard for me to imagine, based on what we've seen, that they're going to be moving towards offensive action in the first film. So, anyway, these are my dilemmas. I still... I, I think he'll... Even if even if there's no sort of contemporaneous necromancer activity taking place, um, mm-hmm. e- even if it's mostly ground laying, a lot of that could be flashbacks, and in those flashbacks we could we could see um, uh, the the necromancer. Because um, mm-hmm. uh, just I think I've asked this like five times on the on the show now um, over multiple episodes, but. Gandalf does his James Bond sneaking into Dol Guldur before the yeah. events of The Hobbit. And they know at the start of the quest quest of Erebor, when, when Gandalf is at Bilbo's house recruiting him, he knows that it is Sauron. And the White Council knows that it's Sauron. Yes. So, so um, I personally think they're not going to do that reveal early in the film series I, I just i feel like i feel like that mist they want to play that mystery of who's the necromancer mm-hmm. what's the nature of this threat but i wouldn't be surprised if we get to see him on screen um uh you know a, a glimpse of him or something somehow and maybe in a uh in a flashback or something that that that's yes. one way that they could have him on screen without actually accelerating the storyline too much right right or, you know, are we going to build towards that at the end? You know, back before the trilogy announcement, uh, when, you know, in our initial discussions of the ending of the first film, one of the things that people were kind of speculating about was, are we going to get like a dragon teaser at the end? You know, are we going to end the first film with like, you know, you know, a dark scene in which we see like, a dragon, the, you know, the, the 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 eye of the dragon opening in the dark, or something like that. You know, some kind of some kind of teaser, uh, not a full reveal of Smaug, but a teaser for Smaug to get people ready for film two, which was going to be clearly much more Smaug focused. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if we might get something similar um, with necromancer, the necromancer teaser. A necromancer teaser at the end of this one, because clearly, I mean, a Smaug teaser would now be totally inappropriate. I mean, he's got to just hang out for a while, because, um, a, you know, a teaser, a, an end of the film teaser like like that su- suggests that, you know, this is where we're going at the beginning of the next film. When they when when it seemed like they were going to end in Lake Town, that seemed perfectly appropriate. Now it does not. Um, for the record, I still hope that that's how it happens. Yeah, I still hope so too. I'm losing my hope, but uh, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I agree. I... If they don't, if they don't end there, if the if the layout of the films is that they're going to reach Lake Town, um, uh, if they're going to reach Lake Town, and if they're going to be in the mount, be entering the mountain, and we're going to have the confrontation between Bilbo and Smog, and maybe even Smog's death by the end of the second film, and then the third film is focused on the Battle of Five Armies, then a, the, a Smog teaser would make sense. If that's not the way they're doing it, then I agree. No, I, I don't think there'll be a Smog teaser. And then maybe 
there'll be a necromancer teaser. Maybe it's going to be maybe the first film is going to be kind of just sort of Bilbo getting started on his adventure. The second film is going to be about the the dual parallel storylines: um, Gandalf and the White Council fighting the necromancer, Bilbo getting through fighting his way through Mirkwood, which could maybe con connected to the necromancer storyline. Maybe. The Necromancer storyline then becomes about trying to open the way through Mirkwood to Bilbo and the dwarves. Um, the second film ends with the Necromancer's defeat, and that's where we first get a glimpse of Smaug. And then the third film is about Smaug and then the Battle of Five Armies. Yeah, you know, that's true. And that's the, you just raised something that I find I haven't really thought about enough. And that is, you know, really, it's another one of those book movie things. Um in the book, we are led to understand that the necromancer really has nothing to do directly with any of the stuff going on with Bilbo and the dwarves, you know, the, the spiders, uh, the wood elves. All of this stuff is going on in northern Mirkwood. And meanwhile, down in southern Mirkwood, there's this necromancer dude, and apparently offstage the wizards gathered together and fought against him. But it had nothing to do directly with the plot of Bilbo and the dwarves other than taking Gandalf out of commission for a while. Um, but, you know, in the film, it would seem perfectly... In fact, I, I would sort of suspect, especially if you're building up and developing that secondary story, um, you know, the, the necromancer subplot, it would seem really odd to people if they weren't connected. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that like that that you're just sort of assuming there are hundreds of miles in between and that the two the, the action of the two have absolutely nothing to do with each other, it actually would make more intuitive sense, I think, if the success of the attack on the necromancer did in fact have something directly to do with um with them making it safely through Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. Yep. How exactly the elves are involved with that. I don't know. Like I said, I I don't think I've thought about that quite enough. Um, that could, I guess, work if we if we have the second if we had if the second movie were essentially primarily Mirkwood focused, both with the with both of those plots. But now here I come to my problem of the title, though. Why then call it the Desolation of Smaug yep. if Smaug is not really involved, nor the desolation around his mountain? Nope. Um, that's, We've got to get there. The I think it would film. make more sense to, I think it would make more sense to do that all in the first film, actually, introduce the necromancer the and defeat him by the end of it. Yeah. And fight well, their way through impressive. Mirkwood by the end of it. So. Yeah. Boy, it's yeah. hard to tell. Uh, I I still prefer I prefer that the third film be entirely Battle of Five Armies. That that Smog be the focus of the second film and be killed by the end of it, but. We'll see. <laughs> Somebody accomplish. suggested, uh, Yana suggested maybe they'll do, he calls it the Pirate, Pirates of the Caribbean style post-credit teaser, but I think it'd be more appropriate to refer to it as the Marvel, um, Marvel, the Marvel Comics film universe teaser, since they're the ones that have really popularized it. But yeah, maybe we'll get a post-credits. Stick around yeah. to the end of the credits, people. If you don't, if you, <laughs> if you haven't seen, if you've seen neither the Necromancer nor Smog by the end of the first film, stick around past the credits. Stick around for the, for the credits, yeah. Just in case. Yeah, yeah possibly, possibly. Um, All right, uh, let's make our predictions because we, okay, we yeah, should wrap this thing up. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to commit here. All right, I'm gonna say, I think he is gonna appear. Um. 
whatever his role is, I think we have to get him by the end. If we get neither Smaug nor the Necromancer in the first film, um, then it, it, I think it's just going to feel too adrift. You mm-hmm. know? So I think that um, the Necromancer has to be a major force, which at least carries us through to Smaug. Um, so I'm going to say... So I've answered my initial question. So I'm going with neither A nor B. What will he look like? Um, I'm not going with C. I don't think he's going to be recognizably Lord of the Rings. There's something attractive there as a kind of shorthand to give a visual signal to audiences. Hey, you know this guy is Sauron, and so you're supposed to be connecting this story to him. I mean, that's that's like an idiot-proof way of sending that particular message. But I don't think that's what they're going to do. I, I, I doubt that they're going to go there. I think they're going to want to distinguish Sauron as necromancer from his later career. Yep. Um, uh, so, and I think, as you say, I agree. I would expect um, the, the kind of mystery angle to be a major part of what is going on in the White Council subplot in the first film. Who is this guy and what's going on exactly? So, um, that leaves me with D or E, corporeal or non-corporeal. Uh, and that's a hard one. I'm, it is a hard one. Um, and here I, I am trying to balance what I expect, which is increased personalization of him. That is not having him be this completely offstage amorphous, can be represented by a flaming eyeball kind of thing, or whether he's going to be, um, you know, or whether they're going to want to play up his not yet fully formed, still gaining strength, Sauron power o meter kind of uh kind of dynamic there. Um if so they would want to make him more ghostly. But I think I'm gonna go with corporeal. I think they're gonna make him corporeal. I don't think they're gonna make him attractive though. Um so the, my my answer to my joking question in our title, Sauron Hot or Not, is... Uh, not. Not. <laughs> not. Not in either sense. Not in the sense of being attractive, nor in the sense of being a flaming eyeball. Um, <laughs> is, that's why I made that joke, by the way, because I couldn't resist. Um, uh, he is not going to be wreathed in flames, and he is not going to be uh, uh, devastatingly attractive. He is going to... Um, but I do think he's going to have a corporeal appearance. Um, if he could be a werewolf, I would be very happy, but I doubt it will happen. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. I'm going with E. I think he'll be on screen, uh, even if it's just a glimpse. I think he'll have a, 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 a fairly substantial form. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking some kind of cloaked, hooded, wizard-looking thing. Some, something necromancery. Now, when you say cloaked hooded wizard thing, are you thinking, you know, like Emperor Palpatine or what? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, maybe we can't so, see like, his face like we can with the Emperor Palpatine, but but something like that. That that just, the name Necromancer really sort of sticks out in my mind for that yeah. for some reason. But why would you do motion capture for that, though? I mean, surely they just do costume. Ooh, for that, good point. Good point. He's got to be something more elaborate than that. Maybe, but I mean, it could be werewolf. It could be, you know, he could, it could be, because I mean, this is the one thing about CGI now. You know, you sort of uh, picture um, some like you know 1980s fantasy films and stuff where you have, you know, people in these hugely elaborate monster costumes, but you know, they're like jingling and flopping all over the place and looking really silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you would totally do those kinds of costumes with CGI nowadays. So yeah. like, I think that most of those kind of things which they used to try to do through costuming alone, costuming of course has gotten better, but you would do that with CGI. You know, you wouldn't do, um, you wouldn't necessarily even actually make a physical costume for it. So I'm actually not ruling out the fact that CGI just means that he is going to have, uh, you know, some kind of, some kind of some kind of sort of costuming done with it, but so so Gollum is corporeal, obviously, right? He's motion right. captured. Exactly. Smaug is corporeal. So so that's what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that he's but even, but uh, if he was just a if he was just a, a cloaked hooded figure, yeah, you don't need to do motion capture for that. That's a good point. Right. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to do motion capture for Emperor Palpatine. Nope. Um, although that wouldn't stop George Lucas from doing it. <laughs> True. True, <laughs> but I think True. Peter Jackson is uh, has a little more self control than that. So far, so far, it's it's early days yet, but yes, so far. Um, All right, George Lucas wasn't made in a day, but so, anyway. Um, so we both say E. Both think he'll be e. on screen. Both think he'll be some kind of corporeal motion captured form. Um, so not very little controversy this time between us, anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, I, th I think so. I, I mean, I, I I don't think I still don't think the motion capture thing, you know, and, and you know the the reference by Cumberbatch does rule out non corporeal. I mean, I think that they could do some really cool things with making him wraith like, um, uh, you know, yeah. maybe even sort of wraith like and able to disguise himself in various ways or adopt certain appearances. Um, you know, I I, I so yeah, I do. Um, I do definitely think that uh, there's there's a strong possibility that he could be non-corporeal, and in some ways, from a book perspective, I like that better. I mean, I like the idea of depicting him as still kind of wraith-like, you know, that is Sauron, who is, you know, powerful and definite and 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 a serious threat, um, but who is still, you know, a shadow of the strength that he would have if he regained the ring. Yep. Um, so, you know, if I were doing it, I would, I think, be tempted to do it in that way. Um, but it's not what I expect to see. Something to, something to, something to hint at um, diminished potency. Yes. Would be, exactly. would be interesting. That's what I would, that's what I would like. But I, but I, but, but, but it isn't, it really isn't what I expect. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I need to jet, so uh, I'm going to wrap this up. But, hey, if you want to stay on and entertain the, the listeners, go for it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll uh, wrap up the, uh, the official episode here. Um, okay. Um, all right. So, uh, so the, uh, well, let's say thanks, everybody, for joining us again uh, for your contributions here uh, in the Mythgard Netmoot. Um, and, oh, actually, one announcement that I want to make sure I make before we uh, officially stop. And that is, um, I think I've mentioned it before, but I want to mention it again. Circle your calendars. Um, Mythgard is going to be hosting a little mini conference surrounding the Hobbit film. We're going to be doing a private screening uh, of the Lord of the Rings film at a theater in 48 frames per second, by the way, 3D, um, in, uh, in Hanover, Maryland. Uh, which is near Baltimore. 
Um, and then afterwards we're going to be having a little conference where we get together and we're going to bring in some guests and we're going to have uh, some intensive discussion for the rest of the day. This is Saturday, December 15th, uh, right after the film is released. So we're going to have a private screening on Saturday morning and then we're going to, uh, we're going to retire to, uh, to a nearby hotel uh, uh, in some conference space there to, do, to spend the rest of the day in serious discussion. Uh, we will have a celebratory dinner that evening. We will announce uh, winners, uh, our prediction winners. We will heap glory upon the people who got the most right answers uh, and all of the people who got more right answers than me, which I assume is probably going to be more than half of the audience. Um, and uh, anyway, so um, we're definitely going to be, uh, this is, this, uh, this event is definitely happening. Uh, we'll be, I'll be releasing more details here over the course of this next week. I'm still fi uh, finalizing our reservations and things, but, uh, but this is definitely happening. So I wanted to make sure that people are aware of that. Awesome. Make your, yeah. make your travel plans, people. Exactly. We're we're going to be right near BWI Airport, so it'll be convenient for people who do want to who who are coming in from uh, from from distant places. BWI Airport will be the place. Uh, in fact, the uh, location that we're looking of holding this is one of the hotels. It's right around BWI, so it should be very convenient for that. Um, it's only about ten minutes away from the from the movie theater. So so one point one point there is is that it's safe today for people to make their airplane reservations. Definitely. But they safe. they might want to hold off on the room reservations until, you know, you definitely announce the hotel. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we're 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 looking into reserving a block of rooms, so we should have uh, some space at a really good rate for people to stay uh, at uh, at the hotel by BWI. So, but yeah, th those details. Once I've officially <laughs> signed that contract, I will uh, I will release those details so people can make final plans. Um, but yes, you can definitely if you are interested in coming, you can you should definitely buy your plane tickets, Dave. and we will. Uh, uh, and and we will we will look forward to seeing you there. And as I said, it's in Baltimore. So if you if you want, if you can drive if you can get to Baltimore by car, that is awesome too. So anyway, just and to you'll make sure and you'll announce that, that suit if nothing else, just to keep me from nagging you anymore. That, that, that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Which I greatly appreciate, Trish. So so anyway, okay. I wanted to, I did want to make sure that we uh, that I made that announcement before we officially uh, end the episode. So is there anything else, Dave? Uh, I don't have anything else. So all right. Then I will say thanks for listening, everybody, and Godspeed. And in broadcast. Okay. Oh, yes, and Yana is pointing out that we forgot to convince the audience for their answers. Please do go ahead and uh, tell us your uh, your answers on these options. I know a couple of you uh, I can see already have. Um, uh, Ed. And go enter them on the Facebook page. Yes. Well, yeah, it has to, once once it goes up there, uh, it, the, the the question will get put up once this episode goes up. So, right, right, right. Okay. Brianna brings up a good point. Maybe we should actually have this conversation right now. She she has in mind, if you see her, what she has said here, um, something like the motion capture would be on the face only, and then the body would be some kind of armor, like smoky kind of armor. And so I asked her. I said, "Well, I have to." Okay. Jet. Yep. Okay. So. Okay, um, bye. I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. All right, see you, Dave. So we'll get Corey's call on this, Brianna. Um, so she's talking about, like, smoky, you know, so she's not sure if that would be corporeal or non-corporeal. I was thinking if you can walk through it, it would be non-corporeal. And yeah, if you can't I, walk I through it, it would be corporeal. If, if 
what we see on stage is, seems to be something that's made of smoke, but which can which like takes a form like that. I would go with non-corporeal for that. I mean, if basically, okay. I would say if the impression that we're given is that this is basically a non-corporeal spirit thing which can choose to manifest itself in some certain ways, <laughs> I would still consider that non-corporeal. Um, that is, if, we, if he does not have a stable figure. Now, if he, say, is a shapeshifter, right? You know, say he has a generally humanoid form, but also can, like, turn into a werewolf, say, and, like, adopt a wolfish form. That, that's still corporeal. That's but corporeal, if it okay. it seems that we're being asked to imagine that, like, a smoky or shadowy wraith-like thing is him, but he can, you know, manifest in, in, in various other forms, too, which we sometimes see, I would, I would, I would go with non-corporeal. Non-corporeal, yeah, okay. Yeah, and Brianna, actually, I, I got it slightly wrong, but Brianna likes my idea better. <laughs> She originally had smoke under solid armor, but now she likes the smoke in the armor better. So, see a little collaboration here. Inside the armor. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of interesting too. Yeah, if that happens, Brian, I would go non-corporeal too because I think so. It, yeah, it just it suggests that he himself is a, you know, misty, smoky, wraithy thing. Right, um, right. And uh, and that to me would be would be the essence of it. Um, so. Brianna, no problem. I mean, I'm glad we actually got this conversation because I think when people listen to the uh, podcast, they may have similar questions. So I'm glad we, we clarified this so they can home yeah. in on their answers better. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Well, that's good. You, you stayed under two hours. That's good. <laughs> I know, not bad. Huh? That's a serious <laughs> discipline right there. And well, and Brent, Brent and I, you know, Brent made the it complimented that we actually got to the main topic by the first hour. That's true. Hey, if the listeners are anything like me, I could do this with you all day. So I don't think anybody has a problem when we go long. <laughs> of course, I also want people to appreciate the fact that I restrained myself from. Uh, uh, saying rude things about uh, about what's his name Connolly. Um, oh, you did. That's right. We didn't talk about that. That's right. That's right. Billy yeah, Connolly. Well, you know, actors. What are you gonna do? <laughs> but see, like that. That's my the main thing that I would like. That's gonna be my my sort of take home message. Like why you have to take stuff that actors say with a grain of salt. I mean, most of these people, you know, we, we, we invest actors. This is one of the reasons, actually, why I have always been resistant to actor fandom in general. Right. You know, because I find that people have this, this huge difficulty separating the actor from the role that the actor is playing, you know? Um, you know, like, just because you really love Mr. Darcy doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to love Colin Firth. You know, right. It's just, it's, right. it's not true. Um, you know, he's, that's not him. That's Mr. Darcy that you love. And you might love his depiction of Mr. Darcy, but he's not the same. And this is why I have a big, you know, why I have never been able to get behind, you know, so many of the stories especially in the years after the Lord of the Rings film, that the OneRing.net is continually running, of like, you know, what is currently going on in the lives of the actors who play the right. Lord of the Rings I mean, right. like, I don't care. I, I literally could not get... There are, like, 
I mean, those individuals, I mean, they're people and therefore interesting as any other person is, but I would put them in like the bottom half of people in the world that I am interested in. Uh, I mean, it's just they they have nothing to do with Tolkien. Most of them don't know, still to this day don't know him. And some of them seem to be interesting people on their own lights. I mean, from everything I've heard, Viggo Mortensen sounds like a very interesting person. So that's great. You know, I, I'm fine with that. But um, but again, I just find that people seem to often have a difficult time dissociating the actor from well, the role. And the other thing is that people seem to assume that the casting people, that there's some kind of prerequisite that an actor must know the story in order to be cast in a yes. role. And that's also fallacious. That's not true. Absolutely. You know, having said all that, I can totally skip Billy. I mean, I'm going to enjoy Billy Connolly as dying. I don't care what he thinks. And, and by the way, I guess a couple of people listening don't know what he said, but he basically said he thinks Tolkien, well, he doesn't like Tolkien, doesn't like reading. He doesn't, he's never read it because he doesn't, doesn't interest him. And he finds Tolkien fans kind of creepy because they're yeah, like so into creepy. it. Yeah. Scary was the word that he Scary. Used. That's right. That's no, right. I mean, he was just, <laughs> Just, just heaping. But that's Billy Connolly too. I mean, that's exactly. his persona. Well, well, whatever. Like what? Jerk. Okay. But I mean, but exactly that that kind of thing. I personally find it incomprehensible. I mean, just again, I'm not an actor. You know, quite likely. You know, nothing could be likelier than the fact that the world of being an actor uh, is very different than anything that I picture. But. You know, <laughs> If I'm cast in a role, I, like I would think about that role, you know, I would yeah, sort of yeah. care about that role. I cannot imagine. I literally cannot conceive of being cast in a, you know, a a, a play or film, uh, which is an adaptation of a book and not reading the book. Somebody saying I dislike Tolkien for various reasons is to me perfectly respectable. I know many people who say that, and and and. and not only respect them despite it, but but respect them for their judgments. I, I'm fine with that. Um, but the kind of the kind of uh, the kind of ignorance of which Billy Connolly professes himself proud, yeah. um, I find yeah. utterly unrespectable. Like that, I, know. I find what, one of the things that I just have no tolerance for. That I find genuinely indefensible. That I find um, now. I will enjoy him as dying, riding a boar into battle. But I'm not going to be thinking of that as Billy Connolly. I'm going to be thinking of that as, of that as dying. So I don't have any problem separating the two at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, you're right. I mean, like you said, I mean, Viggo Mortensen, you know, you mentioned him. But, you know, he he was one that I thought, I, from what I heard, did actually take the role seriously. I mean, he carried a sword around with him everywhere, <laughs> you know, even off camera, so that he could you know, stay sort of, you know, interface with Aragorn and kind of, you know, kind of get to know the figure. Um, I know there are some others that just, they've never been as overt as Connolly, and I don't think they ever would be because they're very respectful, but there have been some actors who, when, at, when questioned, sort of maybe unconsciously displayed their ignorance of the actual story itself. But, you know, what are you going to do? No, I mean, that was, that was the main thing that I was I was going to say impressed by, but of course I don't mean that in the normal sense. One of the things that I was most struck by um, when I met Sean Astin, you know, when Dave and I went, you know, when I went Oh yeah, for the War of the North, yeah. Commercial thing, yeah, for War in the North. Um, I, talking to Sean Heston, I was immediately struck by how little he knew about Tolkien to this day. Um, I mean, I, I, I tried to talk to him a little bit about Sam, of course, because I love Sam's character so much. And I, so I tried to engage him in a little bit of conversation about that, but he um, he was not he was not clued in. <laughs> not biting. 
really had very little idea. Um, That's too bad. I would hope, you know, Daniel points to uh, Elijah Wood as sort of an exception there, that his Tolkien knowledge and enthusiasm uh, are impressive. I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't really heard him talking much about that. Again, mostly just because I don't really pay attention to the actors. But, but you know, I could see that. I certainly would kind of hope, actually, that the right. experience of doing the Lord of the Rings films and the Hobbit films would kind of... You know, even if they didn't know Tolkien in advance, would be kind of a you know at least kind of you know pique their own curiosity to find out a little bit more about this, and especially as they experience you know Tolkien fandom afterwards. And you know, uh, anyway, I, I just I, I would kind of would like to think that that would uh, um, that that would um, sort of inspire them to that. But um, but anyway, I, um, <laughs> but you're right. I, I you know I, I just. I just think it was unnecessary. I think it was kind of uncool of Connolly to go that far. I mean, so what if that's his personal opinion? He could have kept it to himself. Yeah, I, I, and like I say, I just, you know, I, I, I don't believe that all opinions are created equal. Like, you know, <laughs> opinions are stupid. Uh, and, and, and again, in my books, I mean, I... I I could listen to somebody, you know, I'm willing to listen to people defend books that I consider indefensible. I'm willing to, uh, to, to, to listen to people, you know, uh, diss books that I think are great. Um, but I am certainly not willing to hear somebody simply mount a defense of, uh, you know, ignorance and rudeness, you know, and that's basically what he was doing. And, and like, whatever, like, that's his shtick, fine. Like, then, you know, he is, uh, he is cheap. I just, I just, I find that I find the whole thing. Fortunately, he will be covered up in plenty of prosthetics, so we don't necessarily have, have to okay. connect him with Billy Connolly. Yep. One of the things, by the way, that Billy Connolly did say that I thought was interesting, and in fact, Armitage had said this too at Comic Con, is that apparently they have from what I understand, quite a bit of filming still to do. And Connolly said it was the battle scenes. So I guess they're going to be doing some more filming in 2013, I guess. Probably, and I'm thinking it's probably Five Armies is what he's talking about. Yeah, but but you know what's interesting about that? I mean, certainly I agree. I mean, I certainly hope that Dan isn't involved in too many other battles. But Oh, um, yeah, I haven't thought about that. But, but you know what that suggests to me? See, remember when the trilogy was being announced and we were all talking about, like, okay, you know, Peter Jackson says he's going to film more stuff now, right? So mm-hmm. he's going to go back and add a whole bunch of story that he didn't add. Mm-hmm. No, he's not. No, he's not. It just meant that he was behind schedule and is now, and now he's not to worry about it. <laughs> the Battle of the Five Armies was not like, uh, you know, oh, now there's like an extra thing that I can Yeah, do. yeah, no. going to be and, there in the first place. And in fact, Armitage's quote in the little thingy that I did uh, bears that out because this was this was an interview at Comic Con, so it was before this was when the just the rumor of the third film was up. Not at the time that that interview took place, there were still only going to be two films, and they said, "Do you still have more filming?" And he, and he even said, "Oh yes, we need to go back and do more filming." And and I think he even mentioned battle scenes. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it was just that he was behind. <laughs> right, which is fine, you know, and that's a perfectly. You know, it's like that's that's. It's not, you know, I you know, I mean, as I've said many times, I don't have any problem with the film trilogy, and I think that there's plenty of story there to justify it. In fact, as I was saying in the episode today, I still think they're going to be overcramped, but. Yeah. Well, and Daniel just said that Stephen Fry was interviewed on Saturday, and he said he has more filming to do as well. Yep. And you know, he's not going to be in any battle sequences, so yep, that's um, true. that'll that be too. Lake Town stuff. Um, so. 
though uh yeah yeah so but 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 yeah again the fact that that if it's true that there's still a bunch of the battle of five armies to film that proves to me that the f- stuff that they're going back and shooting is not new stuff that they hadn't dared to dream they could include in the film before <laughs> one other thing i wanted to mention in the in the various and sundry just quickly um one of the other, I think it's going to be a poster, but it was in this gla- this glass etching company that's licensed to Warner Brothers to do, you know, when they had, they did an etching of the poster that we looked at today with Bold. They have one that's called the White Council, and it's only the four of them. It's only Saruman, yes. Gandalf, Galadriel, and Elrond. So, uh, you know, there's our Radagast question. Um, but I also wonder how they break ties. <laughs> how are they going to break ties? Oh, how they break ties? <laughs> Saruman has the casting vote. I guess so. That's right. He's 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 the he's the boss dude, isn't he? Yeah, that's true. So anyway, well that's good. So I'm glad we got to go through all this stuff. I you know we there was a lot of stuff that had piled up, and and you, you did you I think you hit on the you know the most salient of all of those before we talked about Sauron. So yeah, exactly. Oh, and by the way, if you're still recording this, we can totally use some of this. You can you can certainly put my Billy Connolly. Oh, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> this will be the director's cut for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. We'd be throwing stones, wouldn't we? <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks to everybody who's still here too. We still got folks hanging out and chatting with us. Eighteen people. Um, or actually, I guess it's between 16 to 16. Yeah, and they joined us. And thanks to everybody who... I've, I've read everybody's points today. I, I didn't necessarily answer everybody. I've been having conversations with folks on the question board while y'all have been talking. But uh, thanks, everybody, for bringing stuff up. It was really, uh, really fun. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Let's see what's two weeks. Two weeks is Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I'm going to have to shift the time. I'm going to be, uh, going to be on the road that week. We're going to be in New Hampshire at my family's house. But we can do okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, I'll be, I'll be uh, on your tail about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, everybody. Take care. See you on Facebook. Thanks. Bye.